The book of Colossians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Do you know there's another book very similar to Colossians? Do you have any idea? Can you guess which one, which New Testament similar to Colossians? Your pastor knows. It's Ephesians. That's right. But do you know the difference between Ephesians and Colossians? The structure, the wording, the grammar, the theology, it's very similar, but there's a difference. Do you have any idea? Do you, can you guess? So the both epistles, very similar, like I said, with grammar and wording. But the difference is the book of Colossians represents the groom of the church, of the bride. And the book of Ephesians represents the bride of the groom. So the, the whole book of Colossians talks about the groom. And Ephesians talks about the bride. So that's the difference. But they're very similar. Now in Colossians, Apostle Paul lays down the foundation before he instructs us how to live Christ-centered lives together, corporate as a believers, especially in local church, because he instructs the church in Colossae how to live that way. So in chapter 1, Paul introduced Christ as the preeminent one. In verse 15 through 18, we're getting into the context to understand, before we get to the chapter 3, we need to understand the context, because in chapter 1, he talks about who Christ is. He talks about that he's sovereign one, the one who rules over everything in the universe. There was no one like him. No one can compare to our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the creator of all things. Paul says everything was created by him, through him, and for him. Brothers and sisters, you were created by him, through him, and for him. Not for yourselves, not for this culture or anything. You created for him alone. In other words, Christ is God. He is the image of the invisible God. So that's what Paul talks about in chapter 1. He presents Christ, the sovereign one, the preeminent one. He's number one. It's interesting in chapter 1, the false teachers, they presenting false Christ. And the way Paul introduces uh, real Christ, not by attacking the false teachers directly, he just tells them about it, who Christ is. It's very amazing. In chapter 2, Paul tells us that this Christ came, the same Christ who's sovereign, came to redeem his people with his death on the cross. Wow. Chapter 1, this is awesome Christ becomes man. He lives perfect life, and then he goes to the cross, to the cross for his people. Look with me in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. 
Paul says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This glorious Christ Paul says, died for us. God in Christ forgave all our dead. Can you imagine that? We own God, but because of His love, because of His grace, He forgives all our dead. That's amazing. This is the core of the gospel. That's what we celebrate every Sunday, right? Through song, through preaching, through fellowship with one another, this glorious gospel. We celebrate the finished work of Christ. He came to give his life for sinners like you and me so that we can have eternal life through, by faith, uh, through faith by his grace. That's what Paul is saying in chapter 2. Chapter 1, this amazing Christ. Chapter 2, he becomes man. He lives perfect life and he go, goes to the cross for you and for me so that he can forgive all our dead. And everyone who trusts in this glorious Christ will be forgiven and will have eternal life with God and personal relationship through Christ with him. So Paul has laid a massive foundation in the person and work of Christ on the cross before he tells his readers and to us what to wear as a Christians. We're not only called to believe, but we're also called to live for Him. Sometimes we get very deceived, right? We just trust in Jesus, have eternal life, and move on in your own life. No, that's not true. We, we call to believe Him and also live for Him. And so that's why Paul is doing this. He laying down this foundation. He represents who Christ is and what He has done. Now, our respond is to react to that. How are we going to react to this? Blindly or are we going to with, with gratitude? Now let's go to, back to chapter 3. In chapter 3, Paul starts verse 1 through 11 by telling believers to put off the old self. Put off the old self, uh, before you put on the new, uh, the new self, the new man. In verse 9, it talks about put off the old self. In verse 10, it talks about put on the new self. So why do we, uh, why do we have to do that? Because in verse 11, it tells us that we are a new community in Christ. Look with me in uh, verse 11. Here there is is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and non-circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all in all. Because of Jesus Christ, we're a new community. And now this new community, they have to dress the way God calls us to dress, to put on new self. 
And we do this because of Christ, because of who He is and what He has done for us. Now we arrive to verse 12 in our text. And the first thing Paul does now is tell us what kind of clothing such a new community should wear. Paul is talking about spiritual clothing, not the physical clothing, right? So look with me in, chapter, uh, in verse 12, in chapter 3. He starts with this, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. In this verse we see three descriptions or three names of you. The first, God's chosen ones. Second, as God's holy ones. And third, God's loved ones. That's your names. That's your description of you as a believer in Christ. You're chosen, you're holy, and you're loved. Let's look at each of those things. So the first, the chosen ones. Brother and sister, you've been chosen. In Ephesians 1, verse 4, it says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? That means you didn't choose to believe in God. God chose you before foundation of the world. That means He gets the glory, not you. It's not all about you. It's about Him. By His grace, by His love, He chooses you for Himself. It's amazing. We call it a doctrine of election. Paul loved the doctrine of election. And if you see in Romans 8, verse 33, he said, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Do you have an answer for, to that question? I don't. The answer is that absolutely nobody can make any charge against God's elect. Do you believe that truth? And this is the good news, brothers and sisters. We've been chosen by God. He loved us and He chose us. So that's the first, you chosen one. Remember in Jesus, in, in the Gospels, uh, John uh, chapter 15, I believe, He said, He looks at the disciples, He said, You didn't choose me, I chose you. And we, we need to be humble with that. Right? This is a gracious truth that he chose. How can he choose this sinner, ridiculous man? And he chooses to himself. This is grace. This is love. Second, holy. Then Paul calls us holy. What's holy means? It means, you know, in, in, in Kazakhstan, you know, we have Russian Orthodox, you know, and Russian Orthodox in their theology, they have holy ones, the icons, you know, the, the, the believers before them, you know, like they, they worship them, they bow down to them, they put candles, and they call them holy ones. No, that's not what Paul talks about. Every believer in Christ is holy. It means set apart for God. That's what it means, holy, kadosh in, in Hebrew. God is holy, 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 Isaiah chapter 6. 
Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. That means he's set apart from every evil and every sin. He's different. He's three times holy. And because of Christ, because of uh, we in him, now we called holy. We set apart for God from this world. We don't belong to this world anymore. We belong to Jesus, to God. And that's why we're called as holy ones. Again, in Ephesians 1, chapter 4, uh, verse 4, it says, He chose us in Him before foundation of the world. He's the purpose that we should be holy. You've been chosen to be holy, to set apart for God. In other words, to serve God, to, uh, to follow Him, to love Him, to proclaim His worth with the holy ones. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen race, a holy nation. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. That's the call. And only by God's grace and only by His gospel we can become holy. And third, beloved. The, Paul calls us loved ones. God, the maker of the universe, chose you, set you apart for himself, and loved you. Romans 5, verse 8, famous verse. God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrated his love for us. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his beloved son. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, you've been chosen, you are holy one, and you've been loved. This truth's changes everything. So my question for you, do you believe that? Do you believe that you're chosen one? That you're holy one? That you've been loved by God? It helps us to live differently when we know this truth. Who we are in Christ. And because of that, we want to please Him. We want to live for Him as a loved ones, as a holy ones, as a chosen once. Now we have a God-centered identity and we are told what to put on. How does elect, loved, and holy child of God dress? What kind of attitude or behavior we all should have as being chosen, set apart, and loved by God through Christ? That's the question. 
most of you know, I grew up in orphanage for 16 years. And orphanage in, in Kazakhstan is different than orphanages here in America. You guys have a nice orphanages here. Sometimes they don't look like orphanages to me at all. But in my country, in my context, uh, growing up in, as an orphan, I remember in orphanage, I have to change my clothes once a week. 100% I'm sure none of you change your clothes once a week. All of you change your clothes once a day or three times in one day. That's a blessing. That's awesome. But I didn't have that. So I have to change my clothes once a week. And I took a shower once a week for 16 years. Can you imagine that? And then I was adopted. Actually, my parents here, I was adopted to a great family. And when I was adopted to Nesbitt's family, do you know what they told me? You're not going to take a shower once a week. You're not going to change your clothes once a week. You're going to change clothes anytime you want. And you're going to get rid of your orphan clothes. Stinky, dirty, with the holes. I wear the same shirt for a long time. Get rid of that. We're going shopping. We're going to give you a new clothing. Why? Because you were, you've been chosen. You've been loved to our family. This is how you represent our family now. You're not orphaned anymore. You're adopted to our family. Now you're going to wear the clothes that we want you to wear. The same way God adopted us to his family. And he tells his people, you need to wear what I'm going to, we're going to go shopping. I'm going to provide the clothing for you to wear. Get rid of all that old self. Put off that old self. And you're going to put on the new that I'm going to provide and give it uh, to you. So in our passage, Paul provides spiritual clothing for Christians to wear. So in our text, there are three inner conditions described which lead to three outward behaviors. In other words, the, these virtues are like pairs. The first pair of the, um, the, the first part of the pair is the inner conditions, and the second part of the pair is the external behavior. So the external behavior flows from the inner condition. That's what we're going to look. So the, let's see the first clothing that Paul calls us to put on. It's compassionate hearts goes with kindness. To be compassionate, it literally means bows of mercy or guts of mercy. In Russian, we say, Sastradanya. It's like, comes from here inside. You know, you have to feel it. You have to be moved here inside, compassionate. It's not just a, a kind of an idea in your head that makes you to do something kind. You have to start inside. Remember when Jesus, he saw the crowd, and uh, the gospel says that he felt compassion. Why? Because they were, they were like a flock without a shepherd. 
The same word was used here, compassion, inside. Something move, have to move. It's happened here inside, something stirring down here. And because of that, you will be kind. So what's kindness? It's an it's a external behavior. So first you need to be compassionate to show kindness. So what, what is kindness? Kindness is the way you treat people when you are moved from inside by compassion. By God's grace, we can practice these virtues in our homes, in our churches. To show kindness to one another in a church, we need to be moved by compassion. And so Paul calls us to put on these things. We must pursue these things as a chosen, holy, and beloved ones. We cannot be just kind randomly, you know. Just here, oh, I need to be kind. No, you need to be moved inside to show kindness to one another. Second clothing. Humility goes with meekness. Humility means lowliness or staying humble. In Russian we say, It's like, you go so low. I mean, it's a difficult to be humble. We need to, by God's grace, we need to work on this. We live in a prideful society. It's all about me. Those movies and songs were created. But God calls us to put on this virtue. In James, talks about God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you want more grace in your life, stay humble. And I, I understand it's very difficult. And we need to fight and pray and ask God to stay low. In other words, it's not all about me. It's all about him. And only God can help us to put on humility. And Christ is a great example. I think you will be studying, right, in, in John 13, on how Christ demonstrates his humility by washing disciples' feet. He's a, such a great example for us to be but at this, in our text, uh, Paul calls us to put on and be low, stay humble. And when we humble, we will be meek. What is meek? Meekness. Meekness is not weakness, okay? Some people think, oh, if you're meek, you're weak. I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to be your friend. You're too weak. That's what Greeks in, in, in first century believed. If they see Christian as a meek, oh, you're a weak person. No, that's not what it means. Meek uh, means you are strong. Meekness is accounting others better than yourself, serving them and lifting them up rather than lording over them. Meekness is disposition characterized by gentleness, consideration and submissiveness, just the opposite of the arrogance, rebellion, 
and violence. That's what meekness means. And we're called to that. But only we can pursue and be meek if we stay humble, start from here. Understand that it's not all about you and asking God that you humble yourself so that you can show externally meekness. I believe this kind of virtue serves marriages and ministries. It's hard to be humble and meek in our marriages. It's hard to be humble and meek in our ministries. But I believe this word will save marriages and, and ministries. If we stay humble, if we show meekness, and through that we can serve one another in our marriages, in our ministries, in our churches. So brothers and sisters, let us stay humble and low so that we can serve and lift up one another for our good and for the sake of the gospel. And last, third clothing. Patience goes with bearing with one another and forgiving each other. To be patient means to be self-controlled or you can translate as a long-suffering. We are unpatient people. We don't like to wait. In, our, in, in your society, you have a lot of fast food. That means you're not a patient, right? You don't want to stay in line. I want to cook everything. But actually, patient is a great virtue. So long-suffering is a patient that comes from the inside out to produce forbearance and forgiveness. And we can apply this patience in our churches, in our marriages, in our ministries. So what does bearing with one another mean? It means to endure one another. To endure one another. It means don't give up when it's hard. Stay to the end. Don't give up. Endure. But first you need to start with patience. And because of patience, you will endure. You won't give up because you're suffering, right? Long suffering. And no one likes suffering. But suffering is a <laughs> It's a good actual thing, you know. In, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 29, it talks about it's not only giving to us to believe in Him, but also suffer, right? It's a gift. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a gift from God. We need to accept that. And because of patience, we'll be bear with one another. We'll show endurance for one another. We won't give up. We'll stay to the end. So that's the second, uh, the first one. The second behavior that comes from patience, it's forgiveness. Forgiveness. We see in verse 13 uh, where it says, forgive one another. It's very similar in 
uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Do you know why we forgive? Because God in Christ forgave us. It's very difficult to forgive. But uh, the gospel and what God in Christ done for us, it helps us to forgive one another. We're not perfect people. We will have complaints with one another. But God calls us to forgive. I remember um, when, even when I was adopted, I, ha I struggled to forgive my biological parents. I didn't understand why they left me in the hospital when I was infant and I became orphan for 16 years. I asked them, I don't deserve that. Why they did that to me? And I struggled a lot as a Christian to forgive them for what they have done without understanding that was God's plan for my life. And 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about that um, in verse 18, um, give thanks for all things because it's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I couldn't accept that. This is will of God in Christ for me to be orphaned for 16 years. Are you kidding me? I want a different life. So I have to humble myself and, and receive that truth. That was the will of God in Christ for me to be an orphan for 16 years. And that helped me to forgive my biological parents. To let it go. Why? Because of this truth. That God in Christ forgave me. He forgave all my past, present, and future sins. How can I not forgive this small thing? That means I don't understand the gospel. I mean, there's a pile of dead of sin over here that I own, to, you know, and God forgave all that. And i holding this small thing against my biological parents for a long time, and I realized I don't understand the gospel then. But by God's grace, He gave me grace to, to forgive, and the truth of the Word of God helped me and motivated me to do that. That's why I think Paul put this on purpose. He didn't say just forgive one another and move on. If he did that, we're in trouble. But he did this on purpose because he, Paul knew it's hard to forgive those who hurt us. And Paul put this, God forgave us in Christ. So that's what we need to get back and meditate on this, how God in Christ forgave my sins. How, been, he, how he can be gracious to me. How can I not be gracious to those who hurt me, betrayed me, forsake me? Now, we don't have to understand a lot of things. Sometimes we try to understand, to justify ourselves. I didn't understand a lot of things why I was orphaned. Maybe I don't have to. But one thing I need to know, it's a present right now. What am I going to do with that? To trust the Word of God and move on and let God will take care of it. But forgive. And, and I remember that the that, that weight that was carrying with me, 
It disappeared. Why? Because I forgive my biological parents. And I'm free. I remember when I was carrying that, it was hard for me to talk about it. When people ask me about orphan life, and, and I have to lie, and I have to do a lot of things. No, 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 I was not a orphan. And so it led me to sin, instead sanctification, instead to holiness. And because of that, because God forgave me in Christ, that lifted up and it's gone. And now I can freely talk about it because I'm not ashamed of it. Because I give all that in God's hands. Because He's so good. And He forgave me. How can I not forgive them? So maybe some of you here are struggling with forgiveness. With your, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your family, and in school, or work. I just want to encourage you. First, start with the gospel. Start who you are. And remind yourself what God in Christ did to you. And after that, remind who you are, like we just saw here. You're holy one. You're chosen one. You've been loved by Almighty God. And ask this God to help you to forgive. And I promise you, He will help you. He loves His children. And He will help them to move on and to live in such a way that honors and pleases Him. It's possible. Sometimes you think it's impossible to forgive that person. No, it's po- everything is possible with God. He saved you. <laughs> You're a miracle that He saved you. Just start with that and then move on. I heard another story. There was an engaged couple. They got just engaged. And somehow that fiance committed adultery against him. And they got married and they had a struggle in their marriage. And he didn't understand what's going on. And one time she decided to go and confess what she had done when they were engaged. And that person, he didn't judge her. He didn't rebuke her. He went to the store and bought a white blanket, a sheet. And he came home and covered her with that sheet. And he said, I forgive you. Because that's how God in Christ forgave me. He covered, God covered me with his righteousness. And I cover you with this white sheet. To to tell you that I forgive you what you have done. It hurt me. It's not fair. But I understand what God did for me. And I want to practice that. I want to forgive you. Brothers and sisters, it's possible. But we need to start with the gospel. We cannot, if you just forgive for you will become like legalist, like, well, I have to do that. No. We get to do this because of the gospel. Don't forgive because pastor told me. Or, you know, no, start with the gospel. Let that motivate you. Because Paul says in the gospel there's a power. Forgiveness is a healer, healer of, in marriages, in our churches. So we need to pursue that. We need to start being patient 
and bearing with one another and forgiving one another. One person said, a happy marriage is the union of two forgivers. It's a union of two forgivers. If you want to have a happy marriage, forgive one another. Pursue that. So friends, let's pursue forgiveness with one another, with all our might, so that we can display how God forgave us in Christ. When we forgive one another, we display that. In clothing, Paul, closing uh, again with the gospel, he said, put on love. Love, love is a crown of all these virtues. It is the final outer garment which binds them all together in perfect unity. In other words, Paul says, don't forget about love. Love plays a big role in this. When we put on all those virtues, such love removes all feelings of anger, hatred, and unforgiving spirit. And then Paul reminds us again in verse 15, he talks about the peace of Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule in your lives. What does that mean? You remember in the gospel when Jesus rose again from, and he appeared to his disciples. Do you remember the first thing he said when he saw them? Let the peace be with you. Do you know what that means? I'll be like, well, what does that mean? Like, he appears at peace to you. What? <laughs> it means now you have peace with God. Now you have a peace with one another. And you have a peace with yourself. And only Christ can bring that. He started with that good news. Peace be with you. Peace to you. With God, with yourselves, and with one another. And Paul calls us here to, to have that peace, that rule in our lives. This peace that we have with God. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.20 Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And lastly, he said in verse 15, be thankful. Be thankful. Thankful, first of all, for the gospel. What God in Christ did for you. Second, be thankful that, for the grace of God in your life. That he keeps you, he carries you, He's with you to the end. And be thankful for the church, for your pastors, for people that are around you. It's a great thing to be thankful for everything that God gives us in our lives. Are you thankful for the gospel? Are you thankful for the grace of God in your life? Are you thankful for the brothers and sisters around you? 
And God calls us to that. So brothers and sisters, remember, to put on these virtues, God calls us because we are chosen ones, holy ones, and loved ones. And he calls us now to put on these virtues, this spiritual clothing, so that we can serve one another, so that we can display this glorious gospel God done in our lives. We can do this because of him who is faithful, who is great, and again, loved us undeservedly. Let's be thankful for that. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, so much for your word. Thank you for your goodness in our lives. Help us to pursue this clothing that you call us to put on, to be example to people around us, to display your glory to this world when we wear this clothing for your glory, for the sake of the gospel. It's possible only if we are chosen ones, the loved ones and holy ones. So help us not to ignore these things, but to pursue them. And we know that you will give us grace to do that. Thank you for everything. Thank you for those clothes. Help us to again pursue them. We love you. And we pray all those things in your name. Amen.